Hello, everybody. Welcome back once again to another episode of I Am Teacher. I am Dan Clark coming to you from a windowless corner of St. Peter High School in St. Peter, Minnesota. Thank you to all of you who listened to the first episode. This podcast is now available on basically every single podcast platform possible, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, and Google Podcasts. We are also available through your artificial intelligence, meaning if you ask Alexa or Siri to play the I Am Teacher podcast, they will hook you up. So that's kind of weird. We currently have no advertising, so enjoy that for the time being. My conversation today is with my friend and colleague Paulette Topol. Paulette has been teaching English for 20 plus years and is currently in her second year in the role of teacher coach in the St. Peter Public School System. I have known Paulette for the past six years and have come to know her as a thoughtful educator who is not afraid of letting her thoughts be known, and she is also good for a laugh. So, here is our conversation about the world of education and life in general. Enjoy. Hi. Welcome. I was listening to your podcast. Oh yeah? It's good. Did it put you to sleep? No, it didn't. Good. I had to pause it to come here, obviously. But I feel like by doing this podcast, it's going to create this, here's my crazy dream, that it's going to create this amazing uh, culture of discussions and it's going to create a situation where a student is not afraid to go and talk to a teacher huh. or maybe bring something up to them. Is that the first podcast you listen to? Oh, no. No? It's like, what What? What do you typically... Are we rolling? Yeah, or it's it's all just going. Oh, for sure? Like right yeah, now? It's all on. I, it's been recording the whole time we're out there. It gives oh. me more... It gives me like the most natural way of doing it. And okay. the, one, the ones that I listen to... Just start talking. Yeah. Well, okay, so to answer that question, I my favorite, especially these days, is the Moth. Okay. The Moth Radio Hour. And it's funny, Levi Nellen actually was the one who said, Paula, I heard this podcast and I think you'd really like it. And so I checked it out and he's right. For the most part, I really like it. But it's just people standing up telling their stories and I've I've heard I hear that one on Saturdays on the radio. Like an old man. <laughs> I'll yeah. catch it every, it's on like at 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock or 12 to 1 or something. Okay. And totally yeah, some that. of them are very intense and yeah. personal stories. And some of them are hysterical. Some of them are really sad. Some are both at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You know, so they're, they're just kind of interesting. And um, This American Life, I listen to every now and again. And then uh, there's one that I've been trying to get more into. I forget the guy's name. Uh, Outliers. Gladwell. Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a podcast that... What's um, that called? I don't, I don't remember, but... Um, he's a smart guy. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I read a couple of his books, and my brother, we were driving to Indiana this summer, and he had a couple. And so that's the first time I'd listened to his... He's got a very unique voice, too. Yeah, he does. Yeah. When you hear a podcast, the best ones, a lot of the NPR ones, 
they all have specific or not specific but they all have just this kind of x-factor voice quality to them yeah like on npr there's a almost like a beat that they speak in that i can't really do an impersonation of but i know what you're saying but but sometimes if it's too produced almost prescribed yeah, yeah, yeah. or like practice or something then like back to that did it put you to sleep thing yeah i mean some of those can be really interesting but the ones i listen to aren't any of that it's just what do you listen to i listen to i comedians talking to each other and then you also in the last in the sean podcast that i listened yeah to. um joe rogan he talks to philosophers professors other comedians sometimes like martial artists just a wide range of people he comes in contact with. A lot of authors that just like are releasing books, they'll go on like their press tour and he'll get them like he'll get like Neil deGrasse Tyson on. Um, so he he talks to really important thinkers and then I listen to other people who like Theo Vaughn is just a stand-up comedian who Never talks heard to, of yeah, him. exactly. Yeah. Or Bill Burr just talks into a microphone by himself in his house. <laughs> and he's, he just cusses and rants about like whatever topic is in the news. Um, I I just like stand-up comedy, and I think they're just so interesting to listen to because I think stand-up comedians are. It's been described they're like the truth tellers of the world. Like their job is to look at something and point out how ridiculous or wrong it is by showing like a truthful side of it and but at the same time they like elicit this response from people in laughter kind of like the mark twain the mark twains of the modern world yeah it's like they just point out like this is ridiculous right here because here is what's actually going on and then people are like oh yeah like they, they show them the reality of it and it makes people make a noise like laughter which is like think about how crazy that is like, yeah they put so they put words together and then the response is this like spontaneous noise that comes out of someone's mouth that you have no control over you hope i mean right? that is the goal but do you know what i don't get what comedy or what or what well related to comedy if you call it that is the um like the roast comedy you know, I don't know if you've yeah. been, like, Jeff Ross, mm-hmm. he's got comedy battles or whatever, yep. roast battles, I think they're called, on Comedy Central, and, like, I don't really get that a whole lot. I mean, sometimes I find myself laughing in spite of myself, but, like, I don't understand the whole, like, I'm just gonna, like, dish on you and say nasty, nasty things, and then we'll hug it out at the end. Like, I don't know, I don't get it, really, but... Just being, it's, I mean, it's super mean. yeah. And I think that is funny only if you are close to the person that you're roasting and that person also roasts you back. Right. But a lot of times on Comedy Central, it's like two strangers possibly. Like the roast battle show, I think, is not friends just going right. after each other. Or like they sort of know each other, but not really. Yeah, I wouldn't. that wouldn't be my... I wouldn't go out and make my name on just insulting people no <laughs> i would like to insult my friends we've I had think that, that conversation before yeah i feel yeah. like me and you have had many conversations <laughs> that could have been 
great podcast, <laughs> and now those conversations have passed, <laughs> and now we can't fine. have it's them. It's good, it's good. Yeah, but, but no, yeah, and I, it, that is different. If you're friends with somebody, that's I, that's that's not even a roast. It's like a that's an exchange. Like that's a friendly banter. But yeah, this this that's the only kind of you know stand up kind of thing. I don't. Yeah, and I'm not even so much into the actual the specials that are on like Netflix I'm just into their thoughts now yeah and I I find them to have great insights on life and they're all all of them have this weird connection of trying to be better people and have conversations that matter and you wouldn't think it because their job is go out and make you know not fart jokes, but something, you know, <laughs> they make jokes about ridiculous things, but inside and in their, on their podcast, they want to have meaningful, deep conversations that help them gain another perspective, um, or something along those lines yeah. because they want to, they want to see the world in a different way. Cause that's what a comedian does, you know? See, and that's interesting. Cause, um, this summer and I never finished it, it expired from my queue before I could get it done I read a big part of Kevin Hart's autobiography I can't remember what it was called but he had like puppies all over his head (laughs) (laughs) you know and it it was interesting because like his big thing you know when he was learning how to be a comedian and I can't remember the guy's name who was like his mentor but he just kept saying over and over again it's not funny because it's not real you got to be real. If it's honest, you can make a joke out of it, you know? So, like, I thought that was kind of interesting that um, the closer he was to himself or the how, if he stayed true to himself in his real life, from there, he actually made, well, I guess he's making quite a career out of kind of making fun of himself, but it all stemmed, like, the root of everything was honesty. Well, I, like, in any... I think in any line of work, that's all you can be if you want to be successful or if anyone is going to take you seriously or laugh at your jokes. You can't (laughs) fake it. You can't pretend to be somebody you're not. That's true. It just doesn't work. It might work for some bit of, small bit of time, but I've found that if you try to script what you're going to say in front of a group of kids as a teacher or you try to put on a facade or you try to put on a happy face in front of them even though maybe you are not feeling so great and sad they can see through that and they will feel off put by it or they'll be off put by it they won't feel like they're in the moment or they're really experiencing the actual yeah it's funny I mean so I don't know I've never really seen you teach and never really been in your classroom but I kind of get the sense that what you see is what you get like the Dan Clark in this room is the same Dan Clark that stands in front of a group of kids and I think I was that way when I was in the classroom and yet you know I remember working with teachers not so much here in St. Peter but at Cleveland where I first started And it seemed as if, you know, the people that I knew outside of the classroom and the people who were in the classroom were not the same people, you know? Like maybe there was a thread of truth, 
or who they were. But it always, it was sort of like they had their teacher persona and then their actual persona. And I just, I just thought that was kind of, um, maybe that that was their style or whatever. I can't, I'm not really judging it. I just thought it was weird. And I kept thinking, especially when I was a new teacher, like maybe I should try to polish it up or something because, you know, like that, that wasn't my gig. It was like, okay, this is me. I feel like that's how it was taught though. I've heard that before, like put on your teacher mask or teach and shoot. I don't know if you're teaching facade. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. And, but I grew up with a guy who was a teacher. Shout out to Ron Clark. <laughs> and he was not, he didn't do that. He's out, yeah. He was always himself. And that was a good example to Never saw him in the classroom around. either. But when I met him, after hearing so many stories about him, I was like, yep. Exactly what Dan said he was, you know. I really like your dad. Yeah, and he was a good role model to, you know, shape or to, to model my teaching after. And I think it's worked so far. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you, how long have you been teaching for now? Uh, I don't want to age you at all. Or that's make fine. You feel... I, I don't buy that whole, like, I'm going to pretend to be a yeah. certain okay, age. Okay, good. That's because that's ridiculous, right? Right on. I'm like, I'm owning it. You know, I'll dye my hair and Who stuff. Who cares? But really? I'm not going to get lipo or Botox <laughs> or anything like that. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, that's, that, there's, there's an accomplishment to getting out of bed every day and, like, clocking another year around yeah. the sun. Um... So yeah, I'm almost 50. Um, yeah, so I think I think I started in like 94, 95. That sounds about right. So when you do, you, do you often think of 1995 Paula Topol and how she was as a teacher? Oh my gosh. Um, does she does her does do do moments where she was in front of the class run through your head ever anymore? Um. Uh, Does she ever pop in to say, hey, remember me? Well, I think, like, essentially, it was just a younger me. You know, like, that part is still the same. But then I think about, like, I've often thought I should write every student for the first 15 years I taught, like, apology notes (laughs) for (laughs) sucking so bad. Like, gee, I'm really sorry that you were stuck with me. Um, (laughs) That's, that's That's how, that's, like, another connection to the stand up comedian. If you were to ask any stand-up comedian who's famous, like if you were to be like, go back to your first special and watch it. So imagine I could take you back to oh, one of those people. fifteen. You'd be like horrified. It would just be an anxiety-ridden. Oh, it'd like, be the worst. Oh, like yeah. it makes you probably sick just thinking about it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like let's not go back there. You know. Um, but what's changed? So what have you changed about, or what did you change over that that period of time? Well, I just think it's, you know, I, I don't know. It's funny that we're in the business of educating, you know, and uh, I feel like learning is kind of key, and not just for students, but for teachers, for anybody, anybody. I don't care who you are or what you do. If you're not evolving, then you're doing something wrong. And so, I mean, it's really hard to put my finger on it, but, like, mostly just, you know, the way, like, like maybe what was important to each how I delivered it, um, what I expected of kids, uh, just everything I think has continued to evolve. It's not like a right. It's not like a sudden shift of like no. okay, this year all of a sudden it changed. It's like a snowball of constantly reading and tweaking. And yeah, yep, and trying and and 
you know, troubleshooting and, you know, you may, and I think there's a lot of things too where um, it maybe took like a couple of years of trial and error and thinking and then then it, there is like this moment of like well here goes I'm just gonna like change on a dime sort of but not really because I mean there's a whole bunch of thought that went into it that you know and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like it sort of clears up in your head like you know for the longest time I was like uh so teaching English or whatever and kids like, they weren't making connections to things and to me that's a pretty important thing to like you know see patterns and mm-hmm. anyway and I just kept thinking, like, why? Why is it so challenging? And then I thought, well, maybe it's the way English teachers, myself, delivered. Like, here's the short story unit, and then we're going to do the poetry unit, and then we're going to do this unit, you know, and, and everything was really hacked up. And so, I mean, I carried that around in my head for a while, and then, I don't know how many years ago, but I thought, okay, well, let's totally throw everything out let's look for big thematic patterns and then we'll put the poetry and the nonfiction and the fiction and all those things together into a thematic unit and then and I think it worked I think kids because everything that was sort of presented did have like a unifying concept then they started to get it a little bit more and I think it also made the fiction a lot more relevant and a lot more real because sometimes that's you know like why are you bothering to read say Romeo and Juliet or whatever it is what's important about that who cares you know I think the other thing too is like especially as an English teacher you're always looking for the who cares like you gotta know why you gotta know how it relates the the thing I like about stories that I probably didn't like as much that I didn't even know about when I was in high school or in college for that matter was the idea that no matter what you're watching or reading your brain will put you into the main character spot like that's what it does when you are experiencing those stories and it plays it out as if it's happening to you. And there's a lot of important lessons that I think maybe kids miss out on because they're not thinking about how they could apply those lessons to themselves. I I love the idea of the hero's journey. Yep. I know that like that's the main story arc. I don't know if it's in all of English, but I know that's like the monomyth. Pretty key, yeah. That um, I think if kids were able to apply constantly to their life or the struggles they have, it would excite them more. When I do that to my life, and that was only in the last few years, was hearing about this, I mean, I probably was told this hero's journey a long time ago, (laughs) but knowing that it exists and how it's applicable and how those stories that I read, I can use as fuel and I can relate and try and put events in my life to match up with those in the book. It just makes it so much more exciting to read. And it's unbelievable how beneficial it is to read those stories. And I, and I think it's not just for the individual reader, um, but I think there's an empathy piece. You know, that it's, I think a lot of us, even as adults, we get in our own heads, we get in our own lives, and it's so hard to sort of break free of our own problems. And then, you know, the, but to be a decent human being and good member of society, you got to understand other people's perspectives. And maybe reading about someone or something 
because it, it puts you in that place, right like that the, it, it just might give you just a, a different insight or a different perspective and then you know even though maybe you hadn't traveled somewhere before or like I'm reading a book right now called Exit West and it's about you know immigrants and like just how horrific that whole experience would have to be and I don't I think if you if you can't understand like say a refugees perspective you know then there might you might be a hate monger you know but if if you can at least get even a fictionalized account of like oh wow how hard that must be for somebody to take that journey because they have to then maybe there's some empathy there that you can even if it's not you who has to go through it you can at least understand the people who have and maybe that that experience might make you a better at least better able to understand I guess being more open to other ideas and other things I definitely tried to do that in U.S. history with things like the Civil Rights Movement, you know, Native Americans, just the, lo- the large groups of people that have been, you know, spat on throughout history and what they must have felt. But is it difficult or more difficult for a teenager to experience those feelings, do you think? Maybe. I mean, I guess the way I've figured out how to do it is just really be passionate about the way I'm explaining it, you know, give them multiple examples or, you know clips or stories to for them to put themselves into but even then when I do that I don't know if it's an age thing because I feel like even myself I wasn't as empathetic as a teenager as I am as a you know 30 year old well that's probably part of it you know and I'm not kidding it's science it's like your brain it's like it won't let you be in a large in in a large part you know that's the thing think about how many things that sort of just sat there and ruminated for a while and you know like didn't you ever do you have any insights as an adult that you were like oh so that's what my dad was telling me about or you know like those things that they're there and you're kind of carrying them with you that they're planting the seeds if you will you know it's, and I think first of all right. like people should never underestimate kids I think kids get a lot of stuff I think they go through a lot of stuff I think they're a lot more in tune than we maybe think that they are but then there are some things that are just no youth it's, it's wasted on the youth like they won't understand it they might need some time but maybe maybe it is the maybe the planting of the seed is where I'm that's like, enough right? that that makes sense to me yeah i've probably had moments where the seed sprouted and shot up 15 years later i was like oh my god didn't even know that was there and maybe even forgot like who planted that seed or where it even came from but you know. Yeah, that's a crazy way of looking at it, but that's what, that what you're, that's what you're doing with some of your lessons. It's just like, bloop. Which is sometimes, it's hard, too, because sometimes, you know, I think we're in a very um, results-driven society, and you want to see, like... Test these kids in 20 years, <laughs> right? and then you can make a decision if I did a good job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, but you might not even know. I mean, they might leave your class and, you know... You think, well, that had zero impact, <laughs> and then, and maybe it did, but maybe, maybe you won't even know the impact that it had because you, it just needs some time to get there, to get caught up. That's probably that's probably the case more so than the. I mean, if you're really, if you're really trying, this that case is probably happening frequently. You don't even know it. That's the stuff that is exciting for me about teaching, and never gets old for me. Is when when the seed plants and sprouts when they're in front of you it's like wow that worked yeah i grew that yeah 
I mean, there, there are those moments, and, and now I have to live vicariously, but I'll have conversations with teachers, and then, you know, like, when the hairs on your arms start to stand up, and you're just, like, you just want to go home and cry, like, oh, my job is so awesome, and these kids rock, and you know what I mean, and yeah. Yeah, I had a student bring me, she went to Nashville this summer, and she went to the, she went to a civil rights museum, and I don't know if she would have went to that civil rights museum without my class, or you know, maybe that was the reason, but she brought back, it was the Civil Rights Museum that was at the Lorraine Motel where MLK Jr. was shot huh. and killed, and she brought back a little token. It was like the the room key keychain of the Lorraine Motel where, wow. he, where he was at, and like, I could have probably cried at that moment. I told her, I like, jokingly, I was like, you're going to make me cry. Yeah. But she was like, oh, just shut up, Mr. Clark. <laughs> and then she didn't take it seriously, but I seriously meant it. That's and, very touching. Yeah. It really is. It was a very thoughtful thing. Like, just the idea that, like you said, maybe she would have gone there with or without, like, her parents dragged her or whatever. But, you know, like, clearly, because of what you had done in the classroom, she had a different experience when she got there. You know? Right. That's yeah. what I that's what I like to believe. Yeah, is, oh, I I think that that's a fair thing to believe. I think I'm sure that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're not, you are currently not. I mean you're you're co teaching right now, right? No, nah, not really. Not really? So only when I get invited to, which is never enough. So yeah. you're you're in coach you're coach mode right now. Coach right? mode. So what is that like compared to the last how many years now you said thirty? Twenty something. Twenty something. So what is like how, weird. Is I bet it's really it's weird. It's just odd. <laughs> it really is bizarre. I've seen more. I've had to think more about beyond me, beyond my classroom, beyond my curriculum, beyond my department, and into more of a systems sort of thinking. So do you do you ever apply, or when you are going through this experience, do you ever think about the hero's journey of? The stories from English or history where you took the challenge and you crossed the threshold and you're gaining <laughs> no. the allies and t- like, do you ever think about that or not? No. No? <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. I, I have no idea. I think I flux. Some days I feel like I'm at the the road of trials. <laughs> you know, like it's a perpetual road of trials. Right. And then every once in a while, you know, like a really awesome guide will come down and it's like but when I when I think of all like if I try something new like this I think of I often think of that and that often helps me realize like okay this is my there's my dragon right there at the end of the story that I have to go slay and if I don't go slay it it's gonna grow and grow and it's gonna come and get me just like in the hobbit you know okay um maybe that's a nerdy way of thinking of it no but, but I, I think I think the other thing is is that you know by accepting the position in the first place or at least interviewing for it it was almost you know if we're we're gonna go um, hero's journey metaphor here like Katniss stepping up and saying I'll yeah. be the tribute you know I knew I knew that it was gonna be challenging I knew that it was gonna shake up my world a little bit I think that was part of the reason why I did it. Yeah, and I think that like deep down, that's probably why we do those things because we're trying to maybe live out that that mono myth and or that hero's journey. Because you probably know, or you'd think, or you when you took it, you would you thought that at the end of this journey, there's going to be, you know, a magical elixir 
or whatever, the final lesson that you get to take back. The boon. To the ordinary world. Yeah. Right? Well, I don't know why, I'll but go that... back to my classroom cave. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, because in, in like all heroes' journeys, you're never the same no. after the experience. They go back, and then there's one final test when they're back, and then to prove that they have actually changed. And yeah. So do you see yourself eventually taking the, the journey back to the ordinary world yeah, in the I classroom? Mean, and that's the part even now where I'm like, ah, you know, I'm learning a lot, which all the time, which is awesome. But then the frustration is like, ooh, I just want to, ah, I wish I had a classroom I could do that in, or I, I wish I had a classroom I could try this in, or that part is, it's like, okay, am I going to remember this in another year or two years when I go, <laughs> like, I have these great ideas now, I should be writing them down. Because, yes, you know, definitely like write when them I get down. back in, I'll be like, uh, what was that again? What was I supposed to do? Has teaching always been the, like, did you do anything before teaching that was super interesting and something you'd think of often or something that made you get into teaching or a better teacher when you started? Like, did you have any odd careers before teaching? Um, no, not really. Was um, it just, was it chronological of just going to school, got your teaching degree, became a teacher? Is that kind of how it happened? No. No? No. Okay, no. I, don't, I don't know the story. Well, you probably know parts of the story. Um, probably. But. First of all, I mean, if I really back up as a kid, I would play school like that was my pretend game of choice like you know like I don't want to play house like let's play school you know weird um so I always loved school and that's probably why I went to college not because I really wanted to go to college but I didn't want to work and school was fun so that's what I did and when I started at MSU we had trimesters back then so we got to change classes three times mm -hmm. during the year and I started, and it was like, ooh, it looks like fun. And that's how I picked my classes. I mean, I tried to that's keep... That's how you should pick your classes. I know, but I tried to keep, like, general eds and stuff in mind. After, you know, like, like a year, I looked, and it wasn't a surprise that almost all of my, ooh, this sounds like fun classes were all in arts and humanities. So then I was like, well, yeah, I guess I can be an English major. You know, always love to read and all that. And then I thought, well, what do you do with an English major? Ah, I'll teach. That's what I'll do. And um, never thinking I really would. I really didn't. My plan was I'm going to graduate and I'm going to go travel. And well, I graduated in June. And by August, I found out I was pregnant. And I was like, ugh. So when I was in college, I was working at, um, well, between wait waitressing, which super fun job, highly recommend it. But um, I'd moved into um, working in group homes with uh, adults with developmental disabilities. And so I was doing that, and then I continued to do that because I thought, well, who is going to hire a pregnant first-year teacher? <laughs> like, this isn't gonna happen. <laughs> and so I was, um, I was working at the group home, which again is like teaching in a different form, I guess. And it was really hard work. And, you know, I don't know if it's changed, but at the time, always short-staffed group homes, always. So, I mean, I could easily get 60 hours a week, easy. Overtime was not a hard thing to come by. And even my weekends, I was working eight to eight, Saturday and Sunday, every other weekend. And it was, you know, and I think I was getting about $13,000 a year or something. Like really, we I mean, talk about teachers not making any money, whoa. So 
after about a year of that, I realized this is ridiculous. And, you know, I don't have health insurance and not, I'm working so hard to barely put food on the table. And I said, you know, I gotta, I gotta put this degree to work. So hero's journey. Number one, <laughs> enter the threshold. That's right. Across the, the threshold. Yeah. So Cleveland, Minnesota, just down the road. Cause I was still living in Mankato. They had an opening and my very first interview and I got the job. So I know they were desperate. <laughs> they <must've laughs> yeah. So then that was it. I started my, my teaching journey there. And then you ended up here. And then I ended up here. That seems like a difficult journey in itself. But. Well, and it's funny because I remember a friend of my mother's who was a second grade teacher and she was retired at the time that we had this conversation, but I don't know how it came up, but she just, she kind of shook her head and she said, you know, it's a calling. And I thought, that's a weird comparison, like teachers and priests and nuns, you know, it's, it's, because that's what she meant, like it's a calling. And, you know, and I, I think about that and it's, everyone makes choices. You know, if we didn't love what we did, like we wouldn't be here, we'd choose something else. But at the same time, I think in a weird sort of way, it is true. Teaching, I don't know if you choose teaching or if teaching chooses you, but I think a true teacher is so, they are their job, that is their identity, that it is impossible to separate the two out, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of the same idea we, we were talking about before, where I'm like I'm the same person outside of that classroom that I am yeah. in front of them. Yeah. Um, and I I was told by my father like don't don't go into teaching. It's really? not going to I, economically speaking, it's a tough path. Don't bother. So, but do you think okay? And this is I'm just curious about this. Because I think about another friend of ours who left the profession for that reason, and it's a sad thing because great teacher. But do you think that that economic piece? Because <laughs> I make a lot more than thirteen thousand dollars, thirteen thousand dollars a year. Um, but do you think that some of that comes from being a, a, a man? Um, I don't know. Like, um, like just the idea of wanting. Like that, that you be successful and make more, or yeah, like or that you have more pressure as or, a man that you have to like provide more for your family or contribute more or something of that sort. Because I don't know, I mean, I guess maybe. I mean, like, think about how many the field of education, I don't think it's a secret, is that it is overwhelmingly female, correct? Well, probably in elementary for sure. I think, but if you were to look at the whole picture, I bet it's what 60 40, yeah, it's yeah. Maybe that's, I bet you you're probably right about that. Um, and maybe that, I think maybe that does play into it. Um, because I think if you look at studies or research, the traits uh, that are commonly associated to males usually puts them in a different line of work. If you were to take a, um, a sample size of 100 men, uh, I'm guessing not a large percentage of them would would voluntarily want to become teachers based on the economic situation. Yeah. So they would rather gravitate towards things like maybe, you know, higher paying jobs or jobs that deal with things instead of people. Maybe. Because they're not as 
nurturing as maybe a like a typical sample size of females would be. Maybe. Again, I the, don't, I don't there's see crossover as a there. very nurturing person, though, either. But you're probably somewhat nurturing. Well, I care, but I don't know if I'm... Right, but you're probably... There's probably nurturer. like this... There's these... Like, if you took the, the two sample sizes of males and females, there's got to be an overlap that I think the teachers would fall into. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we're that, making generalizations, too, because I, I would imagine there's a lot of women who are... Well, like, I'm, not, I'm not saying all right. women. No, I all don't, I'm not... I, I, like I said, I'm just clarifying for... Or listeners right. that were generally yeah, you have to you have to really clarify. Yeah, like we're these not things. being sexist or anything right. here, but um, but I don't know. I just like I was wondering about that because I think um, I don't know. Like for me, like that job satisfaction piece. It's if I rank like what's important, money is not even in like the top three probably. You know, it's like but stability probably. Stability is, is yes, yeah. And that's somewhat connected to money, right? But I think teaching provides that, at least. Right. It, but it, I don't have any grandiose like needs or exorbitant wants, so I'm pretty easy that way. But I suppose if I um, if I wanted more things or more money that I would need money to obtain, then maybe I wouldn't be so satisfied. But I'm, you know, for me, I, I think about. And it, it it sounds a little cheesy, maybe, but I do think it's that, like the relationship piece, is more important to me. I want to be happy. I want to be challenged. I want I want something different every day. I can't imagine like if I had the choice to go sit in a cubicle and do the same thing every day for loads and loads of money. Nope. Don't think I would do it. It would drive me crazy. Um, so I think there's a lot of other things besides money. And really, I mean, I feel pretty okay, you know. I might not retire until I'm like 75, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing. Why? But nobody should probably retire until they're actually ready. Ready or ready to move on or do something completely different or have a different purpose. Yeah, you know, I have friends, a lot of friends who um, retired with the rule of 90. Yeah, you know, because that's like, what everybody did, right? They're like in their mid fifties, and you're, I'm like, you're retired at mid fifty, and somehow they've made it work. I mean, but I just, to me, that's baffling. Like, that's still so young, way too early to just tap out and watch soap operas all day. Right? <laughs> what? Well, it's the same thing. Seriously. I think even like in the classroom, like I think I hope I never get to that point where I'm like, yep, it's good, taught this twenty times. I'm content with how it is. I'm going to continue to do it the same way over and over until I retire or die, whichever comes first. Yeah, I don't, some people, I feel like that's what, how people operated in the past. Like they just had a class and they taught that class the same way. It's kind of like, once again, stand up comedy. There were comedians back in the day. They had their shtick. They had their shtick, same shtick, did it for 50 years, and that was it. Yep. Um, and I don't know, I feel like that's not the case anymore because there's so much more research and information out there that says when you quit doing something that you have, that has purpose and you go do nothing and you sit and are immobile, you end up like you're, you're the rate, the rates of getting sick or the mm. rates of dying, they increase by a lot. That makes sense. And I feel like that idea of the hero's journey, once again, 
I never want to stop going on those heroes' journeys. Like, I don't see myself being a U.S. history teacher for until I'm, you know, 75, but maybe I take that next step, go to a journey of teaching other teachers or teaching Something. at a college. or. Right. But you got to keep moving forward. Right, and I think evolution, again, even in your own teaching practice. And I think you need a good three, four years at least under your belt with a class or curriculum or you know like you need some experience before you really can start to identify okay what do I want to change but to think that you're never going to change that you're going to be able to do the same thing the same way for five ten years I I really that's baffling to me but don't you think that happens sure oh yeah isn't that crazy yeah how did they not go wouldn't you get bored every like that would be extremely boring I don't understand yeah. How they could survive without. Well, but at the same time, crazy. I think, again, if we go back to the empathy piece, teaching is hard. It takes up a lot of time. It's a, it's a lot of work. And so I think that maybe some of it is a survival mechanism. Like, I'm just going to do this worksheet today because I'm just too tired to do anything. I can't even think, you know, or whatever it is. I mean, so maybe if you have a day like that, that's okay. But if your entire. 180 days is that then yikes <laughs> yeah so i mean that might highlight that there there are possible flaws within the system that exist um like having those people exist where they just want to survive um how what are some areas that you see in education that can be tweaked Ooh. or changed because you've seen the classroom now, and every teacher has their own, you know, hour-long lecture on what could be changed with the education system, and now you've also seen it from the bird's eye view. So yeah, a little bit. Um, and and there are just maybe little tweaks you could make, or maybe you have a big idea of like let's just you know demolish the system and ugh. one-room schoolhouse it, or like yeah, <laughs> you know what what do you see as possible changes that could make education in general better well i think there's a lot of them i mean when you think about it we haven't really changed the system in hundreds of years it's the same kind of system mm-hmm. you know at the same time that being said i'm not sure how you actually go about it but i think a lot of really innovative districts are going towards more personalized learning and for me the hard part is i mean you can't really have 150 kids off in 150 directions doing 150 things I mean maybe you can but I think there's also that idea of standards and I know a lot of people are against the standards but what I like about the standards is that they're standards you know like like, standard so even if those kids are 150 of them in 150 directions but we're still playing in the same sandbox so to speak that sand that the standards are sort of that framework you know, so that we can still guarantee that every kid is, you know, and getting a really solid education. Like that's that can't be compromised. You know, I can, but at the same time, having thirty kids in one room going at the same pace is that necessarily giving every kid their prime experience? Probably not. I mean, there's probably kids who are bored because they could shoot way ahead. And there are probably kids who are so far behind that they'll never catch up, but we're still going to like stay the course I, yeah. and, and hit that middle of the road. Again, I don't know how 
how that can be accomplished. And I guess I'm not thinking educationally, like globally, but I think about St. Peter a lot. And I would love to see kind of a blow up of our schedule. I would like to see a lot more collaborative classes. I would love to see things like, you know, for ninth graders in particular, like I call it what you will, like a ninth grade academy, but where you had, where you have teachers from different contents working together with the same kids and deciding what their schedule is going to be within their own framework and and having interdisciplinary projects. I think problem and project-based learning is a really cool thing and I think it's a really good way to, it's something we have to jumpstart, like, you know, the CPR thing where you get the heart going again. I feel like we need to do that with kids. I think some of them are bored. And, and it kills yeah. me. It kills me that learning is boring or learning has been reduced to, hey, jump through this hoop, get this grade. You need this 4.0 so you can get into the next college so you can jump into more hoops. You know, like that's that's sad. And at the same time, it's like I don't feel like, oh, okay, you're, you like the Civil War. Well, great. That's that's all you're going to study for the next four years because that's what you're <laughs> interested in, you know? Oh, we gotta my God. Have, we got to have a balance, you know? Um I think especially for all everybody, but especially when you're young, the more you're exposed to, how do you even know what you like and don't like? I mean, you have to try a million things before you know what you're good at or what you have a natural liking for. And I think that we can do a much better job of asking kids, hey, what drives you? What are you interested in? And at the same time, no, I'm sorry, you still have to do math, <laughs> you know, like, just because you don't like it, we're not going to let you off the hook with that. But but maybe we can approach math in a way that is more meaningful or something. Yeah, I just talked, I have a, I was, I'm doing a group project right now in my class, and it's that same thing you described of how can you possibly have the 30 kids who are all different ability levels going at the same pace it's like you're telling a i don't know cars but you're telling a ferrari like you can only go 15 yep. miles per hour and then you're telling a, a, a person who's walking like hey we're going 15 miles an hour Step up. speed it up <laughs> yeah okay yeah and someone's on a bike someone's on a skateboard somebody's riding an old truck you know yeah it, but i went around to each group and i was just trying to pick their brains because I they're getting to the point where it's almost towards the end of the project. So what happens towards the end of a project? Like not everybody is always doing something. And as a teacher, I'm like, ah, I'm failing. What is that? I can't do this. And I, I talk to them and they're, it's like they're, they were trained to, to be like, it's, it's, this is good. We're, we're moving at our pace and we all did something. But I was like, don't you get where I'm coming from, though? Like, I feel like I'm not, we're not doing what we should be doing because you're, you're just sitting there. Right. And I'm like, this must ha- this has to happen, I think, in every single group project that has ever been done. Yeah. But I don't have the answer. Right. What do I, like, how can I, should you have a book that you're going to, like, but then, you know, maybe you have a book of history that you're interested in that you're reading. I don't know. But they didn't seem to mind. Oh, no. Of course. No. Um, and I was just really trying to get their thoughts on it. But again, um, and what if what if we were doing that project, but in the context of the school day, not in the context of during Mr. Clark's History 11 chunk 
block yeah. three or whatever. So you know, so you just know, like that idea, like okay, right? you know what, we're we're kind of we're we're done with this now. We just our, our brains need a break. Um, we're gonna we're gonna just do our math for a while or whatever it is. You know, like again, I think that the structure and the schedule is a key hindrance and answer to what might help to fix the system. I, I, I don't know. I think some of it too is kids have to have more ownership. And I think some of that comes down to that standard piece. Like if we really know what standards need to be taught um, and that's thrown at the kids like, okay, here's what you got to do between now and June check 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 get these boxes you know which we're not there yet there's no way a kid can look at that and say well i'm going to design this project where i will you know prove to you that i have reached mastery on all of these things right like we still have to help guide them in that direction but i think um you know the, the classes that we offer how we offer them i think we can do i mean we have one-on-one devices it's kind of a crazy thought, isn't it? That if some, if a lot of our learning can be done online, why are we all sitting here from, you know, 12 to 12.50 every day at this time chunk to get stuff done? I mean, shouldn't we have, I'd like to see a more fluid schedule. Like I don't want to go 100% online, but you know what? It's like, okay, so if you're going to show up Monday for a lecture or whatever, and then you got a couple days to work on some stuff I'll be here checking if you need me kind of thing. I don't I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but there's definitely things that could be tweaked. For sure. Every, you know, and, and that's just one area, you know, and there's so many tweaks that could be made all over the place. Why don't, in general, do you think tweaks like that happen? Or are they happening other places? Or do they happen in little increments or like flashes of brightness? Like, do they, like, why hasn't this system changed? Do you think just because it's the status quo, we've been doing it for so long? What do you think? Like, why don't those changes ever happen? Well, I think for me, one of the reasons why I have a hard time even envisioning something different is because you know what you know. And I, Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I was taught very traditionally for the most part. And so it's like, that's my wheelhouse. That's how I was taught. Um, so it's hard to kind of envision a different model when it's sort of like the teacher goes to the fallback. Well, this is how I've all, always done it. Like, I think we do tend to fall back into that comfort zone. And, you know, it's like, what do you start to work on first? Because even to just just create a different schedule, well unless you know why you're creating that schedule or what you hope to accomplish by creating that new schedule, the new schedule isn't going to change anything. And I think if, if we can get to a place where collectively we're sort of reimagining the possibilities, you know, then how do we get people to, um, accept that call to adventure you know <laughs> hey, <everybody. laughs> like how i did that we're what, going on back? a hero's journey <laughs> they would yeah that'd be a great way to start a staff meeting get your sword everyone has yep. a cardboard sword and we're going on a hero's journey let's yeah. go slay a dragon yeah yeah then you'd be like okay no i'm not you people have lost I'm your mind not doing that <laughs> i'm going to the bathroom <laughs> tell me when the donuts are right <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yep, so. so so let's to wrap this up okay there's one the last thing I have on here is one piece of parting advice that you wish kids actually 
took to heart or took with them or put in their, you know, satchel when they're on their hero's journey? What is the one thing that you think they should actually think of constantly or well, not let not let fall out of their head? Because I there's a piece of advice we give all the time, every day, that just floats away. Like. Which one would you like to tie to there? In my brain? in my perfect world, these things are totally connected. Learning in school, but right now I'm not sure if learning and school are always connected. You know what I mean? So I really think the most important thing is constant learning, constant evolution, um, and it might be trying something new. It might be just being a better person. I mean, learning about yourself a little bit, but I think I think that's really it. I think that um, we're all works in progress, you know, and uh, we got to give ourselves permission to make a boatload of mistakes and learn from them, you know. And I think that there's a lot of, you know, either disinterest or fear of I'm gonna screw up or I'm gonna look stupid or whatever. And I think you gotta let go of all of that and just think it's the journey. It is the journey. Wherever you're at, there you are. So learn from it. Learn from it and move forward. Just constantly evolve. I think that's it. Paul Topol, thank you for talking to me. It's been fun. I enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you. Cross the threshold. <laughs> all right. All right. Peace out. Thanks. Wherever you're at, there you are. Truer words were never spoken. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Paulette Topol, the teacher, coach extraordinaire. There are some things I would like to revisit before I leave you. Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, which was mentioned in the beginning of our conversation, is titled Revisionist History for those of you that are interested. I also took some time to look up Kevin Hart's mentor, who happens to be Keith Robinson. I actually became familiar with Keith's work during his days on the TV show Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn back in the early 2000s. He's a very funny comedian, much like Kevin Hart. If you check him out on YouTube, it won't take you long before you are in a state of laughter. Also, after a short bit of research, I discovered the teaching profession is roughly 76% female and 24% male. I'm not sure exactly how that shakes out if you were to look at it from a high school perspective, but those are the numbers I found. If you want to donate to support this podcast, you can, and you can do so on my Anchor page located at anchor.fm slash imteacher. All proceeds will be going towards my student loan debt because those are definitely terrible things that we should help everybody get rid of. Meaning the current goal is $23,000. If you do the math on that, at the pace of $1 a day, I should be able to pay off these loans in 23,000 days. So I am looking forward to that when I'm 93. Thank you once again for listening, and I will see you next time here on I Am Teacher.